If you would take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 8. And if you would, if you are getting your Bible, leave it open. Because we're going to uh, make continued reference to this portion of David's psalm. Hear what David has given to us. Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sea and the fish in the, uh, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His name was George, my my wife's uncle. (laughs) Probably one of the honoriest individuals I've ever met in my life. He was always playing pranks, always doing really silly things for a man who was in his 60s. He's the only person I've ever met who was 60-something, and went to the beautician, had his hair dyed dark, dark black with a white stripe right down the middle. He looked like a skunk. He was the fourth of 10 children and he had lived a life of loss and tragedy. He had fought through the Pacific theater of World War II and saw horrific Scenes, in fact, contributed to some horrific scenes. He had a wife who eventually started cheating on him and eventually one of her lovers became so angry with her he blew her head off with a shotgun in a pickup truck just outside their front door. He had two children, his daughter who eventually stole money from him and never talked to him again, and a son, a son who was really an outstanding athlete. But by the time he was 22 years old, had literally burned his brains with drugs, and he spent the next 20 years living in a retirement home with people who look like me. Uncle George made a million dollars on two different occasions. He owned his own construction company, but he lost a million dollars on two different occasions. He was a gambler. 
a risk taker. One day he was working for his son-in-law on a tractor trailer tire and the tire blew up. And the rim of that tire blew him 40 feet across the garage and slammed him into the wall and caused the whole left side of his body to be torn to shreds. He spent the next 18 hours on a gurney at USC Medical Center, downtown LA, where people who have no means are taken. 18 hours before they actually started doing something. They had triaged him and decided he's not going to make it. But after 18 hours, they realized, okay, this old cuss is tougher than we thought, and he's going to make it. And so they replaced his left knee. They pinned portions of his leg and arm back together. He had a plate in his elbow, so he could never really fully straighten it. He had a metal plate on the left side of his skull because the skull was gone. They gave him a prosthetic eyeball because he'd lost his eyeball. On the outside, Uncle George was this happy-go-lucky, gambling, ornery old cuss. He was actually a lot of fun to hang out with, with his skunk hairdo and all of his bad jokes. On the outside, he was a hoot. He came to live with us for a very short time, about a month and a half. And every night for those first two weeks, <clears throat> when Uncle George would go to his bedroom, you could hear him screaming and raging and banging against the wall shouting and swearing at the top of his lungs. And the truth came out. He was not this happy-go-lucky, old, cantankerous, ornery man. He was alone, screaming into the darkness. And each night, the rage and the banging and the shouting and the swearing would go on and on until he exhausted himself and he would fall into a restless sleep filled with nightmares and bitterness. Look at verses 3 and 4 at what David says. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Hmm. 
You see, David, who was a shepherd, probably spent a great deal of time out in the wilderness looking at the cosmos and standing in awe of God. The vastness of the heavens, the moon, and the stars. And I love the poetry here. As he looks at that, he comes to the realization in his own poetic way and said, these are the creations of your fingers. That's how great he believed God was. These things that are so vast are the creation of your fingers. <laughs> fingers. What do I use my fingers for? A vast creation? No. I tie my shoes. I hold a pen. I pick my nose. Vast difference between the ways God uses his fingers and the ways that we use ours. He looks at the creation all that God has made, and he goes, wow, wow. And then he looks at himself, at us. What is humankind in this vast array of the cosmos? What are we? What are we? I hope this is not a newsflash for any of you, but when we die, we return to dust. It's not if we die, it's when we die. We return to dust. In fact, the author of Genesis chapter 2 says that we are no different than dust without the breath of God. That also suggests that those dust bunnies that are under your bed, they're distant relatives. So don't be alarmed. What are we? We're here today and gone tomorrow. In another place, the psalmist says, we are a hand breath. We are a breath. We're here, we're gone. What are we? Typically, we are broken, alone, and exhausting ourselves like Uncle George did every night those first few weeks he lived with us. Maybe not screaming out loud into the darkness, the vastness of the universe, but feeling that same kind of terror and pain. Far too often, this is where we get stuck, is in our own brokenness, asking the question, what are we? Far too often, this is as far as we go. Simply asking the question. But look at verse 4. David says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. You see, David understood that as he looked at the vastness, he, he realized that this divine being that had made it all just with his fingertips, 
thought about us. You're mindful of us. You care for us. And actually, that word, you care, in the Hebrew is far more intense than just care. It means loving, providential visitation. That means that he comes and looks in on us. That means that he hangs out with us. That means he is here, even as we sit and listen or sleep or text or as we walk to class when we lie down at night. Loving, providential visitation. So in answer to the question, what are we? What is humankind? The answer comes back. We are priceless. We are precious. And David, whether he realized it or not, and it's interesting that the New Testament uh, tells us that David was a prophet. And as he received the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whether he realized it or not, this providential loving visitation that David comes to perceive is actually pointing us towards that ultimate loving visitation. God with us in the person of Jesus, whose name means Yahweh saves. And the word saves could and should also be translated Yahweh heals. You see, David stood in awe of the cosmos and he's asking the question, where do I fit in? Where do we fit in? Why am I here? And the conclusion is, we are here and God cares about us. He thinks about us. He visits us. And as we are here, we should also be in awe, not just of the cosmos, not just looking up into the starry night, but looking up at the cross like the one that's behind me and know that the answer to the question, what are we, is found there. Because God himself in the person of Jesus declares that you are so precious that you're worth dying for. And I know your name. After about two weeks of listening to Uncle George behind that closed bedroom door each night, I felt compelled to have a conversation with him. 
And so sitting in our, at our dining room table one afternoon, I simply asked Uncle George if he was tired of the rage, of the nightmares, of the swearing into the darkness. And he said, yeah, but I don't know what to do. And for the next half hour, he and I had just a simple conversation about the one who has, in fact, come in a loving visitation to rescue and to heal. About the one who said to him, Uncle George, that he was so valuable that he died for him. And at the end of that conversation, Uncle George says, I want that. I want that. So together we prayed a very simple prayer. And he asked for forgiveness for all of his sins, which by Uncle George's own self-confession were many and far afield. We might still be there if he had confessed every single one of them out loud. And he said, yes, I choose to follow Jesus to change my direction and to go where he calls me to go. And so Jesus came in. He kept his word. He paid a loving visitation to Uncle George that afternoon. (laughs) And I said, all right, that's awesome. Then I went about my business, he went about his business. That night, for the first time in decades, Uncle George, when he closed the door, simply fell asleep at peace, rescued, healed, because of the loving visitation of the God who had declared to him, I've come to rescue you, to heal you, to save you, even from yourself. And that loving visitation and the promise of that visitation was proven true. David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? What are we? We are those people who have, in fact, received a loving visitation from the God created the vastness and the smallness of us. The visitation of God in the person of Jesus who has come to rescue and to heal us. 
May that be true for you. Amen.